This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me is the Steven to my Steven, Perry Cyber. <laughs> oh, I'll take Colbert. I will gladly be Stephen Colbert. That's wonderful. I was going to well be Gary. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, I never know how he's going to introduce me, folks. It's a new one every time. Today, we are talking about the extraordinary... Extraordinarily long career of Mr. Stephen Colbert, and I'm sorry, Steve Carell, uh, <laughs> who turns whatever today, August 16th. Uh, today is his birthday, so we're going to talk about a few of our uh, favorite performances of his from TV and the movies. Uh, but before we do that, Perry, what are you watching? I recently hunkered down and spent four hours uh, with the uh, original director's cut of Sergio Leone's Once Upon a Time in America. Oh. A movie I had never seen. Okay. Uh, or, to be fair, had never seen in one sitting. That's a movie that played on HBO a ton when I was a kid. Mm. And I had seen, like, like chunks of it over the years. And uh, it's one of the reviews uh, of Pauline Kael's that stuck with me forever. And so I had never seen it. And so I, I sat down and, and now I have done so. <laughs> and it is... Uh, it's uh, it's g- gorgeous. It's beautiful to look at. Uh, I am not the world's biggest Sergio Leone fan. Okay. Uh, I don't dislike Leone, but I don't need that. that that's it's not a it's not a style that means a ton to me. I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm not attracted to it aesthetically. Uh, it is the last moment. What struck me most is it's the last moment at which De Niro could possibly play young. <laughs> <laughs> He's in his twenties during some of this movie. You're like, oh, that, that works. As opposed to even just uh, uh, Goodfellas, he's shooting four years later, and one of one of my few complaints about Goodfellas is, well, De Niro is supposed to be like in his twenties when yes, we first meet him. He, he, he looks like he's in his forties if best. And the other thing is, and honestly, it took me till the second time I saw Goodfellas till I realized that you know when uh, <laughs> when when he gets pinched as a kid selling the cigarettes. The other kid with him is supposed to be the Joe Pesci character. <laughs> Literally, it, I didn't put it together the first time because Joe Pesci looks 30 years older than Ray Liotta throughout the movie. And they're supposed to be the same age. Not that I care and not that that's an excuse to see how happy I'm going to use the age-defying special effects for the Irishman. But still, that's, uh, that's, that, was my, that was my big takeaway from my four hours <laughs> Spent with Once Time in America. That and remembering the great Pauline Kael uh, uh, comment. I can't. I'm not quoting her directly, but basically she made a really great joke in the review about how really silly it is to have your main character named Noodles, <laughs> and it's very true. I haven't. Seen it's the movie very before. very true to have to have your main character addressed as Noodles throughout the movie <laughs> really undercuts some moods that you're trying to build. Yeah, it kind of doesn't go for that epic feel that you would want. It it, it misses. It's hard to look. At a, a, a 55-year-old man and addressed his noodles and take his problems seriously. All the epic characters you got, uh, you, you got William Wallace, you got Don Corleone, you've got El Cid and noodles. Noodles. <laughs> noodles. Well, did you see that on Criterion or? That's on Netflix. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Believe it or not? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
Is it worth sitting down and plotting out four hours? Um, it depends on what you want in your movie going experience. Okay. You'll, you'll know 30 minutes in. Okay. (laughs) Maybe I'll add it. Maybe I won't. We'll see. It is, it is, it is so, it is, um, the the emotions are operatic, but it's not, it, it plays so slow that it's not like it's, it's not like it crescendos to this giant, thing. It, okay. I mean, it does structurally, but aesthetically it doesn't. It doesn't like whip you into a frenzy. Okay. It's this very slow, very measured, very build up of intense emotion. And I hope that my deadpan delivery gets across <laughs> so, how weird yes. the experience is of seeing the movie. It's, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. It's, it, it is worth seeing if you're interested. If you're not, no, I'm not going to tell you to change your life and spend four hours with this. Well, our TV's busted then. I don't think I want to watch that on a laptop. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not the best way to watch a Leon film, no. Well, the movie I saw recently is a lot shorter. A little bit older, uh, and it happens to be possibly my favorite movie of all time. <gasps> oh, I know what we're going um, to talk about. So, uh, as we're recording this, this will come out a few weeks later, but uh, as we're recording this, I recently turned 40. And just in time for my 40th birthday, they did special screenings of the Muppet movie, which was also turning 40 this year. I believe in June it turned 40. And so there was a Fathom event done at Special Theaters. I took the chance to take my kids to go see it uh, at the local AMC. And even though we were only three of nine people in the entire audience, we had a great time. Uh, This is a movie I just, it makes me happy every time I watch it. The music is so much fun. I just love watching the Muppet performers interact. I love the banter between them. Uh, there are little ad-libs that I catch every time. Uh, my favorite line is they're all in the car and they're picking up Miss Piggy on the side of the road and she gets in the car and all of a sudden you just, the car starts driving away and you hear Rolf, oh, my name's Rolf and I was playing piano. Never mind. And <laughs> he cuts out. Um, the kids, it played so well for them. My daughter, I've played uh, Rainbow Connection for them a lot. They've actually seen the movie, but uh, never on the big screen. And as soon as Rainbow Connection played, my daughter looked at me, slapped me on the arm, and said, That's your song! And uh, (laughs) she got up and danced during all the songs. My son laughed all the right moments. Uh, It was a great way to turn 40, to to go back and watch that again. Uh, My wife texted me. I was out of town uh, uh, the Monday uh, on, a, on a Monday and said, can you be back home early enough tomorrow to take me to the 7 o'clock in the Muppet movie? <laughs> and so I saw it as well. Okay. Um, I, I, I I adore the Muppets. I adore the Muppet show. I don't have the same feelings for this movie that you do. I don't dislike it. I just find sure. it... Especially on revisits. It doesn't, it doesn't hold the appeal for me to do when I was a kid. Unlike The Great Muppet Caper, which I will watch anytime. I think that's really a funny movie and, and plays... In the ways I want the Muppets to play better, which is not... I'm not mocking this, discounting this movie in the slightest. No, no, no. I would would totally... I think we've even had this conversation. Muppet movie has a very personal space for me for very personal reasons. The Great Muppet Caper is the funniest Muppet movie made. It is wonderful. fun. Uh, But uh, the one that surprised me that you talk about ad-libs, and I truly... I don't know how how well you can actually ad I mean, they must. They're talented enough to pull it off. Mm-hmm. But the moment that struck me uh, of utter genius, if it's if it was improvised, I don't know. In that opening scene where they're all in the movie theater before yeah. the movie movie starts, he walks... Kurt walks down the aisle and gets stopped by Sam the Eagle, who, of course, asks if there'll be any socially redeeming qualities in the movie. 
And he says, I sure hope so. And then a paper airplane hits Sam the Eagle in the armpit and just lodges there. And I don't know if that was set up or not, but Kermit says, oh, sorry about that. If it wasn't, if they just were throwing things around the set because there were supposed to be distractions and a paper airplane landed there and Jim Henson improvised that in the moment, oh, my word. Oh, my word. That's just fantastic. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a joy of a movie. I, I love it. Moving on to other things I love, maybe not quite as much as the Muppet movie. We're talking Steve Carell today. This was your idea uh, to talk uh, Steve Carell movies and performances. It's his birthday. We had him on the brain after our Judd Apatow episode. And so, yeah, we thought, well, let's talk about some, let's let's love up on some Carell. Well, I was really glad you brought this up because at first my, my concern was, I'm like, is there enough to choose from? Mm, and he's in, in just probably about... 15 years amassed a really interesting filmography yes. yeah, between TV and movies. We should state for the record that because we just did Judd Apatow and we would probably have this on both of our lists, we did exclude The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah, we go back and listen to the Apatow episode for to find out how much we love Steve Carell in this movie. Yes, uh, so we will not be talking 40-Year-Old Virgin. Everything else, TV, movies, is on the table. Um, so yeah, I mean, the best way to get into this is just jump into it. What was your first pick? Uh, my first pick was, uh, uh, and maybe my best pick. I don't know. Uh, it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, I really want to talk about Little Miss Sunshine and his work in Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, for this reason. So there are three great theater schools for Saturday Night Live, right? Mm -hmm. You've got Second City. You've got the Groundlings, and in the last 10 years, you've had UCB, or the Upright Citizens Brigade. Uh, not that you can't get in in other ways, but those are the three improv institutions that tend to feed SNL. Mm -hmm. Not that Carell came from SNL, but he sure came from Second City. He is a Second City guy through and through. And at Second City, you learn the job is to yes-and the scene until you get to a logical ending. They ground an emotional truth. In all the skits. It's not about acting crazy. It's about acting believably. Mm -hmm. And then as wide as you can get that. <laughs> to carry an emotional scene. For my money. Second City produces much better actors. For the most part. Than those other institutions. Not exclusively. I'm not saying the others can't. Mm -hmm. I just think more really good actors come out of Second City. And the best actor. That ever came out of Second City. Uh, would be. Uh, oh, Alan one Arkin? Oscar, Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Okay. The yeah, best, there we go. The best actor to come out of Second City before Steve Carell was Alan Arkin. Arkin, well versed in Second City, used it to play anything in film and maintained one of the most fascinating filmographies for 40, 50 years. And there is a moment in Little Miss Sunshine. It's right before uh, Carell's character goes in uh, to buy himself, I forget what, a snack or something. And, and and he gets asked by the grandfather to uh to to buy a porno mag for him and there is a moment that Carell laughs at the the shock of it and the amusement of it and i i don't think it was improvised but it is the most utterly natural laugh and laughing is one of those things that you can that's it's really yeah. hard to do it's really hard for an actor to make it seem like they've just heard something for the first time. And it may have been an improv. It may have been in the moment. And if it was, then it's a genuine laugh by Carell. Uh, but I feel like it's a passing of a torch. And I think it shows exactly the kind of Carell 
struck out on and has achieved over these last 15 years, going effortlessly between drama and comedy and fusing them whenever possible. And always, uh, with the exception of probably something I bet we're going to talk about on your list, <laughs> with a, a, a really genuine undercurrent of real emotion and, and, and real human behavior. I, I, I think it's a really great movie too. I love the movie on top of that. But I think Carell's performance is, it, that's the keystone for me. That's where you can go, yes, that's what he's going to do the rest of his career and that's what he has done. And I thought it at the time, I thought that moment, I, I've remembered that moment forever. I did not, I did not revisit Little Bit of Sunshine and go, oh, I'm going to talk about that. I've thought about that laugh for 15 years, however Little Bit of Sunshine is. I think it's a great moment and in a movie full of great moments for Carell and a really great script. That is a movie I really need to see again because I have not seen that in years. It was on my top ten list that year. Uh, and a lot of it was from Carell, who plays a really sad role. He's, uh, if I remember correctly, he's suicidal in that movie. Uh, right? He has attempted yeah, suicide. Yeah, yes. and, and yet it's a very funny, heartfelt movie. Uh, I really like that one a lot. Yeah. I, I think he brings a lot of heart to that. I think that was the one where after seeing him in comedy, comedy, comedy... I kind of perked up and was like, oh, he's he's capable of notes within that that really work really well. Um, yeah, I, I think my next one actually has a tie-in, if I remember correctly, because it's been years ago, but isn't Tony Collette in Little Miss Sunshine? Absolutely. Well, she's also in my first pick, uh, which isn't my best pick, but it's the, it's the one that I find one of his most interesting performances. That's The Way, Way Back, oh. uh, where he plays Trent. Uh, and he is the boyfriend of Tony Collette's mother character, uh, whose name is blanking on me. But he is basically... I mean, Steve Carell often plays roles, at going back to The Office, which we might get to in a little bit, where there's there's an unlikability to him in a certain way. Um, or an aloofness, or something that's just aggravating. But it's always kind of offset by warmth and personality, and something that makes you really like him. This is the rare character where he has none of that. He He's a frustrated dick and has a scene <laughs> where he basically asks the young kid who's the uh the lead of the movie duncan he's like yeah, yeah how would you describe yourself on a scale of, scale of one to ten and the kid kind of mumbles and he's like oh, you're like a three or a seven or something like that. but it's just this cutting off-handed remark that stings this kid and it's the rare time where i think steve crow plays someone who's just so unlikable. And that's not to say he's not charming, because you understand why Tony Collette's character is kind of charmed by him. He's this guy who wants to prolong his youth, so he, you know, they go camping, where he can basically live like an adolescent and drink all night with all his friends. Um, It's a really different performance for Carell, because there isn't that redemption, that likability to him. He He's an asshole. And he is actually, he's intimidating, um, one thing I noticed about most of my roles I picked here is it's Steve Carell as a supporting actor, which I think comes out of his improv training. Is he, oh, yeah. he's really good at serve the scene. Yeah. Setting other people up. And I don't think he's the best performance in the way, way back at all. I think that is Sam Rockwell's movie. It's that his is, movie. Yes. Yes. That is Allison Janney's movie. Um, Sam Rockwell, especially though. Yeah. But what Steve Carell does so well in that is he sets up a threat. He's an intimidation. There is a sequence that there's a gesture Sam Rockwell does that brought me to tears the first time I saw the movie. It's where by a waterside at the very end of the movie, yep. 
and Steve Carell's character, uh, Trent, is trying to get Duncan to come back with him. He kind of reaches for him, and Sam Rockwell steps in, and it's just this little little gesture. He steps between Duncan and Trent, and it's that moment he find, Duncan finally has someone stand up for him and, you know, defend him. But that doesn't work if Trent's not a threat. Yes. And I, I think it's very low-key work by Corral that sets up this asshole character. And it, it really, like, it stayed with me. Uh, because he doesn't he doesn't play someone that unlikable very much. The only other time I can think of him creating someone so unrepentant or just so unlikable was Foxcatcher. Yes. Which is a movie... I don't like it all. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and where I actually feel maybe he goes too far into uh, unlikability. Foxcatcher's an interesting movie. I I don't dislike it. I think it's impossible to recommend. Like, I have to yeah, really know you. it's a very you. cold movie. But, and it is my least favorite Bennett Miller movie. Mm-hmm. By far. And I'm a director who is cold, who I really like. I, I don't ding it because of that. It is a film where the tone is... Off. He's playing someone so weird and you're yeah. trying to laugh at it. And it's not that it's a bad performance. I just think he's poorly cast. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just think he, the, uh, he, you needed to cast somebody who is just scary. Yeah. Not someone who you think might make you laugh and can be scary. I understand the need to want to do that because you think that's where you can maybe get some, some levity into this movie that has no levity at all. On the page, but I don't wish to discount the whole movie. I think that open that the opening ten minutes of Foxcatcher, which is the two brothers wrestling, mm-hmm. is as good an example of action showing behavior as anything you're ever going to see. It lays out the entire relationship they have, mm-hmm. and they don't say anything. It's just the way they wrestle and what happens. It's re- it's a really good movie. It's just hard to watch. I will stick up for Ruffalo in that one too. I oh, fantastic! Uh, and and Channing Tatum, I think everybody's really. Good. I think, and and it's not that Carell is bad. No, he's just he's wrong fine. I just think the expectations you bring to it are ooh. I mm-hmm. there's one point where he says something so weird, and every time I've seen the movie with people, it gets a huge laugh. It's very Michael Scottish, yes, but without. It's not supposed to be funny, right? Yeah. And so there's there's there yeah. The, the emotional tone, they they <laughs> the movie falls off the very thin emotional tightrope it's walking mm-hmm. at that moment. What was your second? Uh, my second is uh, my second is his Bobby Riggs in Battle of the Sexes. Oh, okay, I do like that movie a lot. I like the movie a great deal, and I love him in it. Uh, again, talk very much jumping off from what you were just talking about. He's he's playing an asshole here, mm-hmm. clear as a bell asshole. A very self-obsessed, gambling-addicted, uh, absolute sexist. And yet... <laughs> he's I don't, very likable. I don't want to say that he's likable, but he's relatable. You understand mm-hmm. him. And he's not purely evil. He is, uh, he is both a product of his time, mm-hmm. a product of his... Uh, his own obsessions. It does not shy away from how difficult it is to be his son or his wife. In this movie, it does not make him out to be, you know, a, a friendly, warm, fuzzy, awful dude. He's he's hard. It would be difficult to live with this person, mm-hmm. uh, and he's utterly compelling. He's you can see why it's not just what Bobby Riggs said and did. 
It was the way Bobby Riggs said yeah. and did them. He was compelling. He was fascinating. He didn't mind being the bad guy to help sell this mm-hmm. match. And that was part of it. This is a, this is a huckster thing. He's a huckster through and through. That's what the character was. That's what the real person was. If you know any history of Bobby Riggs, he's a fascinating guy. Above and beyond this, he led a, he led an amazing life. And the movie gets in a lot of it. You learn a lot about the real Bobby Riggs in this. And then on top of that, yeah. Boy, if you've seen Bobby Riggs, it's a really great, I don't mean to say that it's a mimicking performance, but oh my god, he embodies oh, yeah. the, the real Bobby Riggs in a way that even Emma Stone is great in the movie. I still never stop thinking that's Emma Stone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I never, I never quite believe, oh, I'm looking at Billie Jean King. I'm watching a great performance. I'm watching the character of Billie Jean King for sure. But Carell brings even a little more over top of that. And, uh, and it's it's a really great performance and a really interesting film. A film that uh, certainly uh, suffered from being timed for an event in real life that didn't happen. <laughs> I think this was supposed to come out when we all thought that Hillary Clinton would be the yes, next president, that's and right. it plays much differently with having Donald Trump elected instead. Uh, at the time it came out, uh, but it is it's 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 a good movie. If you haven't seen it, I, I really recommend it. It's a, it's a great. It's a great little movie. It's been a few years for me. I might have to rewatch. And it. I realized just now I have picked two films in a row by the same directors. I was thinking about that, that, which I did yeah. not even intend. I don't think of it as a, as a as a a Dayton Ferris movie so much. I think of it as the script and those performances. It doesn't so. really feel like Little Miss Sunshine. They they're two distinct movies. Or even Ruby Sparks. Yeah, well, that's a good pick. I, I had totally forgotten about that movie until we were talking about it. Uh, over Messenger, and I was like, oh, that's right, I do like uh, Battle of the Sexes. That was a pretty decent movie. Um, but it's not enough to end up on my list. My, my second one is a movie I know you're going to love talking about. Uh, oh, I think I know what's coming. <laughs> and and I, it is his role as uh, Rick Tamlin okay. in Anchorman, okay. The Legend of Ron Burgundy, a movie that I know you do not hold in the esteem I do. It's true. Um, and I think... This movie, I, I remember, I, I fell head over heels with Anchorman when I saw it. I There was a solid year or two where I quoted this movie every day. This this was my Caddyshack. Um, and, and I love Will Ferrell in it. I think it's a very fun movie. Um, I've kind of walked back my belief that it's the best Adam McKay movie. I, <laughs> I do really like Step Brothers and Big Short and, uh, and and some of their other stuff, but Anchorman is a movie that I think is a lot of fun. If if, if it hits your wavelength, uh, it is a silly, stupid movie. And when I walked away from it, the thing I walked away loving the most was Steve Carell as Brick, the dumb weatherman, <laughs> and. What I loved was this kind of played off what I knew of Steve Carell at that point. Uh, he hadn't done 40-year-old Virgin yet, and I think The Office might have been later that year or another year off still. So all I knew was The Daily Show at that point. And so it was... I, I loved how silly he would get on that show. Um, I loved his shouting matches with Stephen Colbert. <laughs> but it's like they took that character and then removed any intelligence that was remaining. Like, any trace of, oh, this is a recognizable human being. Like, what you were talking about that he does so well. Yes. He's just dumb. And walks away with so many lines that just made me laugh so much. The whole, 
I love lamp. The, where'd you get your clothes? The toilet store and yeah, in, inviting people to the pants party. <laughs> uh, it, it's a dumb role, but it makes me laugh every time. It's a silliness that I think you have to be really confident to go that silly and that broad. Um, and it's used enough in the movie where it's funny every time he shows up, but it doesn't overpower the movie. Uh, Anchorman 2 leans a lot more on Brick and is a much worse movie for it. Um, but it also, it, there's a sweetness to him. He's just kind of so dumb that you can't dislike him. But it also gets that thing that I, I was talking about before. Where he's a supporting character, and he's happy just to be there setting other people up for the joke. And he's... He's just the most memorable part of that cast without even trying. Uh, I, I really, I, I like him in the movie. I think Adam McKay showed later on that he knew how to get strong performances out of Carell that are probably technically better performance. And Big Short is a really good performance. I, Vice, too. I, I think his Rumsfeld is really, uh, I think people did not appreciate the work that Carell was doing that. Well, at the end of Anchorman, it is revealed that Brick went on to serve in the Bush White House. Yes, it's true. So, Anchorman is kind of a prequel to Vice. I will I will say this about Anchorman. Uh, everything you said is true. I don't care for it. I didn't think it was funny at the time. All of my best memories of it are Corral. Uh, they are... Yes, Corral made me laugh throughout the movie. Not every time, but often. And the single biggest laugh in the movie for me is his absolute introduction at that party <laughs> where he delivers that monologue about having like a, an IQ of 60 and there is a toaster burning in front of him that pops and it's full of mayonnaise, right? Like there's mayonnaise in the toaster. Yes. Like that's just, that's glorious. <laughs> I, I remembered it to this day. I laughed so hard in the moment at that scene. I've never gone back to it because I don't want to sit through Anchorman again. But yes, yes, full points to whoever wrote it, conceived it, and Carell for delivering that insane monologue. It was beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, it's it, it's a special movie. Yes. <laughs> what was your number three? My last is, uh, is uh, and I, it's here partly, I could have picked a ton of things. I could have talked about Crazy Stupid Love, which I think is a highly entertaining film uh, that that uh, I think get, got dismissed unfairly. By I really like Crazy Stupid Love. It's a really smart, really entertaining movie. Um, I thought about Vice. I thought about The Big Short. Um, but what I landed on was Richard Linklater's Last Flag Flying. Yes, I yes. Which is a, a, another film I think that is criminally underseen. I think if you if you talk at all about supporting the troops and what it means to be in the military, you you need to see this movie. Uh, you need to support a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, of course, a, a sequel to The Last Detail, the great Hal Ashby film from the mid-70s. And uh, in the movie, Carell plays the character that was played by uh, Randy Quaid in the original. And it is... He, he walks a different line here than in all of the other movies we've talked about where he can easily mix being an asshole, uh, with being charismatic and still being a little funny. Here, he really, he has the sweetness and the dumbness of Brick, but it's brought up into a character. That's mm-hmm. what he's playing because that's what that character absolutely was. He was a sweet, innocent doofus, uh, as a young man and he's, he's still sweet. But he's a little less innocent, 
and a little bit less of a doofus as an older guy. And it's perfect casting. It is just perfect to put Carell in this. Uh, uh, he is he is surpassed ever so slightly in the film by Brian Cranston, who has the unenviable unenviable job of having to evoke young Jack Nicholson, who is above and beyond in the last details, one of the great Nicholson performances, and not only achieves that, but truly manages to make it his own. It's it, three stunning performances in that movie between the two of them and Fishburne. But Carell really is playing notes in putting notes together in ways he hasn't. In any other way, striking a completely different chord. See what I did there with notes and chord? <laughs> I didn't even plan that when I started talking, Chris. Uh, it's really, it's a beautiful performance. It is just, it's just gorgeous. He's got, they've got, there's a scene near the end of the movie where they are, the three of them and a, a couple of young sailors there with them are on a train and they talk and they reminisce about old times and boy, do you believe every second and every story they tell? And there's a moment where uh, Carell's character is embarrassed by something and starts to laugh. And again, that laugh. It's not the same laugh as that Little Miss Sunshine laugh, but oh, it's just I believe I'm watching somebody utterly lose control of themselves. I don't, I, that's marvelous. I, it, is, it is what puts me in awe of actors in general and of Carell in particular. He just has that ability to make anything seem utterly fresh and in the moment and that is all you can ask of an actor and there's so few actors who can do it i like last flag with flying a lot um, i haven't seen the last detail um so i was a little worried going into it even though i yeah, think it's it, you, you know it, it's kind of a loose sequel but what i do appreciate is there is that shared history that is really conveyed in those characters yeah. like i haven't seen the last detail i could probably if I was when I was watching the movie, I could pick up. Oh well, this is what happened in that movie, and I can tell how it's feeding into this. And Carell is—I remember him being very heartbreaking in that movie. Yeah, uh, he he carries the movies a lot of its emotional load. Um, and I think I went to watch it because of Cranston, because it was kind of his first big thing after Breaking Bad. But uh, Carell is probably who I walked away with with the most respect for in that. Um, but Cranston's really good in it too. Cranston is stunning. I, I mean, that's that's a performance that sh- should have won awards. The movie just didn't get seen, and I I I don't know why. It's a fabulous Linklater film. It is a it is ah, I just think it's a fabulous movie. Well, and it's not it's not like I understand why some people don't see some Linklater movies. Some of them are not very accessible. Oh yeah, but, this is. But this is this is. I mean, this is a movie I could sit down with my dad and watch. Yeah. And, you know, I think he'd be very moved by it. Yeah, I, I really, that's a good choice. I do think that's a movie that doesn't get enough attention. Um, so for my, my top pick, I really wanted to go with something different. I did not want to come back to this because it just seemed too obvious, but I could not get around it. Um, I, I thought, again, I, I considered, um, The Big Short. Mm-hmm. Uh, I considered, um, Date night? No, not date night. But I, I do enjoy date. <laughs> I like date night a ton. Um, but I had to go with uh, the very probably his most iconic work, which is of course Gru in Despicable Me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well played. He also played Gru's well, brother in Despicable Me Three. You got me. Well uh, played. No, I, I'm, I'm talking. Uh, <laughs> I, for me, it has to be Michael Scott in The Office. Uh, a show that I continue to be shocked is as popular as it was because I felt like I spent years telling people they needed to watch The Office on NBC. 
Um, and now it's, you know, the most popular show on Netflix or whatever. Uh, At which, least until January of 2020, right? It will be the most popular show on NBC Universal or whatever they choose to do. And it really, I mean, there's so much good TV out there. You don't need to be watching The Office over and over again. But you could do worse. You could do a lot worse. Um, <laughs> I went in with, a, I, Steve Carell was my only hope for this show when I, when it debuted. Uh, it, I was a big fan of the BBC version of this, uh, and the, the Ricky Gervais performance in particular. I loved that run of that show, and I could not see it translating to American audiences at all. And at first, it did not. Uh, that, that first episode in particular, which is basically a retread of the British pilot, just sits there. And it's because Carell is really sticking to the Gervais model. But I think it's a show that over time, he made that role his own. He made Michael Scott his own, uh, to the point where him and David Brent actually lived in the same universe uh, later in, yes. in episodes. Uh, and when we talked about this, we, we said, like, try and stick to one episode that that really kind of sold the character for me. And I had to pick Dinner Party. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is my favorite episode of his run of The Office. Well, it would have to be my favorite run of The Office because everything after Steve Carell left was pretty rough. But that run of the first... Not the very last season, but the two preceding him leaving are terrible. It writes itself a few episodes before the finale. Yes. And finds it, kind of finds itself again. But when he was on the show, I would say seasons two through four or five are... About as good as American sitcom has gotten in recent years. Uh, it, it, it's pretty great. Dinner Party, I believe, is a season four episode. And it involves Jim and Pam and Dwight and Andy and Angela. And Dwight's babysitter showing up yes. <laughs> showing up for a dinner party at uh, Michael Scott's condo where he is living with his girlfriend, Jan. And things go Horribly awkward and horribly <laughs> wrong. And it is one of the most awkward episodes of television to watch. But I feel like it is the episode that captures everything I like about Michael Scott and that performance. It has his total lack of self-awareness is on display there. Uh, the, there's a moment where you just see how much Michael is living under Jan's thumb. And he finally got to buy a plasma TV, though, that he is so proud of. And it's just this tiny thing on the wall. And he's just, I could just stand and look at this for hours. <laughs> and it's the funniest thing, but it's just he has no idea how he's coming off or what's going on around him in this relationship or how much, you know, it's a toxic relationship to get out of. You have this whole aspect of him doing really off-putting things just to make friends, like keeping people at the office with a fake assignment just so he can cancel it and <laughs> they can reveal they have no plans and so he has to get they have to go to his house. Uh there is a fight between him and Jan that is brutal to watch and yet so funny where he argues about how often he's had a vasectomy and had it reversed <laughs> and had it back. There's this patheticness about him as you just see this life he's reduced to and how much he just wants friends and to be loved and what he's willing to settle for to get that that really sets up how much we want to see him 
find love with Holly later in the series. Yes. Uh, and then the thing, again, that I'll just say again, everyone else in the episode is also doing some of their best work in the series. So ja- Jack Krasinski and Jenna Fisher are really fun to watch in this. Rain Wilson is great to watch in this, and he's setting them up for jokes right and left. And it's he's <laughs> he's the star of the show, but he is not unhappy if people walk away with the biggest laughs of it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, The Dinner Party is an episode I will just go back to randomly and watch <laughs> because I think it's just peak office. Everything I love about that show is is really on display, and he holds it all together. He's the center of that show and really the center of gravity for everything that happens in that. Um, and, yeah, I, I really like his run on The Office. I have argued for the genius of that show since it was on the air. I maintain that the second to the first full season, the first 24, 26 yes. episode season, that's a perfect season of television. It I is. Don't, there, there are a handful of those over the years, and that is one of them. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a solid pick. I think I would have gone... I would have either picked... I'd have to sit there and go through them again to land on the exact one. He and Amy Ryan together were so good Yes, on that show. Any of the episodes where the two of them take center stage, I would have been, I think, really showcased Carell's talent. But for me, off the top of my head, the episode I would have picked probably would have been The Deposition. When Michael... <laughs> when they read his diary. <laughs> when, yes. When, when Jan is suing Dunder Mifflin for firing her and uh, that... The 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 emotions he's got to whip through in 22 minutes are remarkably wide, mm-hmm. and to play them all and to have I I I always liked the show better uh, when it didn't lean into embarrassment, but when it leaned into uh, when it leaned into embarrassment for someone having done the right thing, then it would lean okay. into embarrassment for. Wow, this is awkward. Because I think that that can get stale. Mm-hmm. The Office did better than anybody. I'm not saying it became Office on the show. I just think that's a type of comedy that you really walk in a line. Yeah. If that's all you're going to do. Like I, the 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 episode that start that where I started to where the the show went from being my hundred percent favorite show to being my ninety nine percent favorite show was the Koi Pond. Is that the one where uh, was it Stanley S- fell in the Koi Pond? No, no, Michael dies. Oh, does. And wow. Jim, when we find out at the end that Jim pushed him in. Oh. And I'm like, deal with that earlier because yeah. that's the emotion. And the deposition for me does all of it really well. Where I know people love Dinner Party and that's a revered episode. And for me, every time I watch it, I'm like, this is just about throwing awkward at them. I don't get, I don't get the sweetness, even the hint of it that that show at its best did. I don't need it to be dominant. I'm going to ask him for a happy ending. But even like the moment, uh, this the episode where and I love that we're talking about specific episodes <laughs> of The Office now. The 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 episode where Carell, or Carell, where Michael Scott finds out he's bankrupt <laughs> and is paranoid that Jan yes. is going to leave him and that he's screwed up his life and he runs and sits on the train that never leaves Scranton. <laughs> he's going to ride the rails when Jan comes and talks to him. That's. That's like a great moment. That's a great Carell scene for me. And that does what that show did better than anything. Where she doesn't want to let him off the hook. She doesn't want to take any blame for this. But she doesn't. 
want him to take the full brunt of it either. And that line is really interesting and I think really works. It's funny. That, that's what that's that's where I love the show at its best. It's funny because when you mention the deposition, the part that makes me laugh the hardest is really one of those petty moments he has where Toby is just being really <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, gives him this nice heartfelt. You know, my parents got divorced. And it was really hard, and Michael just slides everything off the table. His lunch. It's his lunch. I, I could have. I could have also easily gone with um, if it was just on pure laughs. The injury. That's the best episode. That's the be- That's my favorite episode of the entire series. And it's not that I think Carell's. It's not Carell's best moment. It's a really good one. It's a great episode. But he's everybody's even- so good in it. He's not even on the screen during the funniest part of that, where he's describing his injury over the phone. I tried hopping, and now I bumped my elbow, and now my elbow has a protuberance. <laughs> protuberance. You uh, burn your foot on a foreman grill. <laughs> oh, that yes. whole episode. That's that's a, that's that episode. A, Ray Wilson gets to run with. Yes. That that's a. That is a that is a perfect twenty two minutes within a perfect season of television. Uh, the Office is good stuff. Obviously, it's on Netflix until Universal decides to do their thing. Check it out now. Was there anything else we left off? Uh, you know, I think yeah, we did a shout out. We did our shout out for Crazy Stupid Love, right? We at least mentioned yeah, we how really really good that movie is. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yeah, you don't. You know, you 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 don't need to. You don't need to bother with yeah. the Bruce Almighty sequel, and you no. don't need to do. Yeah, uh, uh, I feel like there's something. Boy, what am I not thinking of? <laughs> Get smart. I actually really like Get Smart. That it's is not a movie that the first 15 minutes I remember sitting there going, "This is a comedy," and then it got. I think Bill Murray showed up briefly, and suddenly the movie like found its life. Uh, <laughs> I really wanted to try and fit in The Daily Show, but I feel like as much as I like him, it was always uh, Colbert who I kind of gravitated more on The Daily Show, even though I really liked Carell. Uh, Colbert <laughs> is just looms so large on that. Uh, if you wanted to have them both teamed up, you can find old episodes of the Dana Carvey Show on Hulu. Uh, that's where they both started out on television. They are both very funny on that. I love yeah. them both uh, doing the ambiguously gay duo. Um, also, Dana Carvey show. I would re- recommend the uh, the documentary that Hulu did. Uh, I think it was called Too Funny to Fail, and it is a really good look at a really niche show. It was. It's a. I have the DVDs, and it is. It is a show that is. You just, you look at those writing credits and it's stunning who is in that room. Yeah, yeah. They all went on to something else. I guess if I were going to, there are a couple performances from him that I really like. I mean, I want to pick him here because he's not dominant in the movies by any means. Um, but he is, uh, he's very good in Cafe Society. The Woody Allen movie. Okay. Opposite Jesse Eisenberg, again, playing an asshole, but more of a, a, an asshole with power. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't feel the need to wield that? But like he just has it, and that's okay. a, that's an interesting tone for him to play that he hadn't played before. Um, I he is, and this is a, this is this is a movie that is a, it's not a great movie by any means. I'm not telling you to rush out and see it, but if you like watching actors work, he's the therapist in Hope Springs. Oh yeah, Tommy Lee Jones and Meryl Streep, yeah. and he and Mer- I mean he is such a better foil for Meryl Streep. Than Tommy Lee Jones, <laughs> that the, the the therapy scenes between the three of them are alive because of what he's bringing to it. Um, 
it makes it something other than a, a cute movie about a troubled older marriage, which is what it sort of posits itself as. Uh, Carell brings something both lighter and uh, more serious okay. to those sequences that I think he's. I think it's a it's a great supporting performance. Okay, uh, and not a great film by any means. I'm not telling you it's a lost gem, but if you want to see kind of his work, it's you know it's it's a much more fruitful experience than say uh, seeking a friend for the end of the world. You know, which is a movie that just doesn't work at all. Yeah. <laughs> it I, has moments, but doesn't, doesn't I remember, really, really work. I remember Dan in Real Life being one I was kind of taken with oh. when it came out. I have not seen it in about, well, whenever they screened it for the press. I have not seen it yeah. since then. Um, and I really, I'm looking at his IMDb right now. But I see that uh, Beautiful Boy is a movie that is out, and I know is on Amazon, and I can't believe I never saw it, because I read that memoir when it came out, and was devastated by it, and so I feel like the movie is one I should check out, and I just never got around to. It's good. <laughs> Have I put enough trepidation in my vocal cords there for me to <laughs> indicate that it's not great? It's it's two really good performances. Carell does get the best stuff in it. It's a, it's a film that doesn't have a payoff. Okay. It just doesn't have a. It walks that line of not being hard enough to earn such a non-dramatic ending. Okay. <laughs> but Carell's excellent in it, as is Timothy Chalamet. They're both really good. It's worth seeing. It's a solid addiction drama. There's nothing wrong with it. It just isn't great, and it doesn't quite earn the. Uh, deflating the air out of the balloon ending it has. It doesn't, it doesn't land. Okay. Um, and granted, I, they wanted, they, that's, that's that kind is, of the book has. Exactly. That is, is, that is, exactly. Yeah. Which is like, uh, okay. But you didn't quite make it real enough real life to make me be okay with that ending. It okay. still sort of demanded something else that isn't quite there. But it's good. It, it's not them. It's not them at all. Um, I know I, I gave uh, Despicable Me a little bit of a hard time. I will say, I've watched the first one with my kids a few times, and uh, I do enjoy the first Despicable Me quite a bit. Uh, it's, yeah. it's one of the least offensive family movies for me to sit and watch with them. The, last the first one's fine, and he is he is funny yes. at it. It is, it is an enjoyable vocal it's performance. It's very and, and if we're going to stay with uh, animated stuff... I really like his work in Over the Hedge. Okay. He's very funny in Over the Hedge. Um, Uneven as any kid's animated movie, but he gets the best gag in the movie. Granted, it's visual. But still, his character gets the best gag. (laughs) Well, I will say, he was also in Welcome to Marwin last year. (laughs) Which, if you're interested, I believe the documentary Marwin Call is... It's on the Criterion Channel. It is on the Criterion Channel. That's what I was going to say. And if you're interested in our thoughts about documentaries versus live action... Tune in in two weeks for our next episode when we do talk about some of our uh, favorite documentaries. Perry, in the meantime, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Perry Loves Film. You can find me on Facebook by my name. You can find me, you can hear me every Friday morning on WLBY, 1290 AM in Ann Arbor, about 940 in the morning, talking about movies with Lucy Ann Lance. And of course, you can spot me probably in the middle of the third row at your local multiplex. And you can find me on Twitter at Mere Christianity. You can read my writing about film at michigansportsandentertainment.com. And you can check out my other podcast, Wasting Time, with Chris, Beth, and Matt. And we air that every other, or every Wednesday. 
and talk a little bit about pop culture. In the meantime, check out our Patreon page. Check us out on Twitter at our own show's thing, which is Watching Cast. And we'll be back in two weeks to talk some documentaries.